morning, everyone. It's good to be here. So I wanted to start uh, this morning a little differently. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what Jay and Heather did last week. Um, if you weren't here last week, I definitely recommend you listen to the, the audio on either the app or online on the, the website. Um, if you don't know, Heather was diagnosed with breast cancer um, two weeks ago, and they're kind of walking through all the, the questions and the difficulties of that. And they just took the opportunity to, to get in front of everyone and to get up on the stage and, and into a microphone say, you know, this is where we are, this is what we're dealing with. Um, we don't have all the answers, we don't know where everything's going, but you know, this is what's going on in our lives, and, and we want you to, to know that and to be a part of it. And it wasn't about putting on a show. It wasn't about, um, you know, saying, you know, woe is us and, and how difficult our lives are. But it, it was very real, and it was very courageous. And uh, I just wanted to thank them for that. I wanted to thank them for being real with us. You know, we attend a church. If you have been going to Grace for a while, you probably already know this. It's a very authentic church. Um, we, we believe life is real. Uh, life is difficult sometimes, and uh, sometimes it's easy to, to kind of social media your life up a little bit, only use your, your best photo angles, only tell your funniest stories, only um, have your most touching moments show, but we've all had weeks. We've all went to work. We all went to school. We all had uh, frustrating conversations with family members and friends, and, and that's part of life, too. And I just thought it was very, uh, I thought it was very real. I thought it was very authentic of them uh, and very courageous of them. And I would just challenge you guys. Uh, Jay and Heather have poured into this church an unbelievable amount. They they give without looking to see how much they have. They give first. And uh, I just challenge this family because that's what we are to to gather around them, to crowd around them. And uh, and if you feel like you should do something for them, do it. Shoot them a text, send them an email, pray for them, lift them up in all the prayer they can take. Um, and I challenged Jay and Heather first service, if they need something, let us know, because we would be more than happy to step up. They, they've more than invested in us. We can, we can pay back those dividends and, and lift them up in this time. So I just want to challenge you guys to do that. I really appreciated uh, Jay and Heather doing that last week. I thought it was really awesome. Um, so Jay called me this week, and we had the, the conversation about service and, and what it was going to entail. And uh, it's always interesting. It's always funny. Um, he tells me the normal stuff. You know, hey, this is about how long you're going to speak. This is when I'm going to do this and that. I'll introduce you. You close in prayer. You know, the normal stuff. And then we always get to the, the awkward part where he wants to say something and he's not sure exactly how to say it. And, and I can already hear it coming. I already know what it's going to be, but he's got to say it. And he's like, I, I, I want to be honest with you, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I said, just, I don't, I don't offend easy, just... Go ahead and say it. He's like, all right, I'm going to shoot straight with you. When you get there on Sunday, be clean shaven, have your hair done, dress sharp. And, and I love that. I love that for two reasons. One, Jay knows me. He, he's, he's invested in my life enough. He knows that's who I am. He knows that he can speak into my life in that way, and, and I'll receive it uh, without offense at all. But he, he knows me. He knows that sometimes I show up in church in, in jeans and a t-shirt, and, and that's a conscious choice. It's not a, a lazy thing. I mean, I'm, I am lazy, but... It's not, that, that's not the reason. The, the people that I, I have a heart for are people who would not be comfortable in a church service in the traditional, you know, button-up, tie, that sort of thing. And, and if I can make myself a little more approachable to them by dressing more casually, I, I want to do that. I want to have that opportunity. Um, so that's, that's one of the reasons I love that. The other reason that I love that is that, that Jay takes this pulpit very seriously. 
Uh, you know, he made the comment that this is not his show, this is God's show, and it certainly is, but he takes this position that he has in this church very seriously, very reverently. And, you know, he's going to stand in front of God someday um, with all of you on his shoulders, and God's going to say, did you do the best that you could with the people that I gave you? And he's got to answer for that, and I think he takes that very seriously, and I respect that a lot. It makes me feel very honored when he asks me to, to step up here. So, I want to talk today about... Um, Jesus, and the title of the sermon is Jesus, Son of David, and it was a title that Jesus was called by people uh, when he was walking on earth. It was not a title he ever used for himself, but it was a title that referenced King David of Israel, and Matthew actually goes through the trouble of going through the genealogical lines to show us that Jesus can be traced straight back to King David. Um, But the reason that people often use that name with Jesus, or at least the reason sometimes people use that name with Jesus, is that David was known for being a warrior. He was one of the greatest warriors Israel ever had. They had songs and stories about David for generations and generations because of the great power that he had in his acts of war. And a lot of people wanted to see Jesus do that. They wanted to see Jesus be the next King David. They wanted him to pick up a sword, to throw off Rome from Israel, to make Israel the great nation that they once were, and uh, to, to free them in that way. And He did free them in a lot of ways, but that was not one of them. That was not one of the ways that that he chose to act in his kingship. Um, But he was certainly a fighter. And I I feel like a lot of times in the culture today, in the media today, we see a lot about the the love Jesus, the hug Jesus, the mercy Jesus. And and those that person exists too. Certainly I've got stories today that are going to accent those qualities about Jesus too. But Jesus really stepped out against people too. You know, there were, there were Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes that came up against him and they, they threw rules at him and laws and questions and they tried to trip him up and, and to trap him. And he took on those people head on. He was not afraid of confrontation. He was not afraid to challenge people openly. You know, typically it was at the temple. There were lots of people there. Um, certainly he was offending people while he did it because they thought, oh, this is the proper way that things should be. Um, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way our fathers did it. And he was willing to, to really challenge them and to give them a hard time for it and to challenge them to, to look into their own words and their own religion and their own heart and see if what he was saying was true. And so that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today. Um, I want to do four stories. Um, I know three is the magic number for sermons, but I really like symmetry. So we're going to do four. Um, I apologize ahead of time. There is a lot of text. We'll have it up on the screens for you. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you do, I'll give you all the chapters so you can get there. But to really get the flavor and the essence of the stories, I really feel like you need a little bit of that context, a little bit of the before and a little bit of the after, um, just so you can really know kind of what's going on. So the first story that we're going to do is in chapter 8, verse one, starting in verse 1. It's a story of the adulterous woman. Um, if you've been in church, if you've been in Sunday school, you've probably heard the story. Very famous story. Um, not, not one that I need to preface with a lot of information. I think it, it speaks for itself very well. So starting in, in chapter 8 and verse 1. Oh, did I say John? I probably didn't. I'm sorry. This is what happens when you do two. You don't remember what you've said this time and what you said last time. So John, I'm sorry, all the, all the chapters that we're dealing with today will be in John. We're starting in John 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have something to charge against him. 
Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him, and so he stood up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote in the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Classic story of Jesus' mercy and love. Um, you know, he, he sees more than just the sin. He sees the person. He sees this woman. He knows about her life. He knows what she's been through. Uh, but when the Pharisees and the, and the scribes bring this woman to her, what they're trying to do, and it, it says it specifically, they were trying to trip up Jesus. In, in this theocracy, in, in a world, in a, in a country led by God, quote unquote, these were the most powerful people of the country. And they came and they said, Jesus, by our laws, by everything that we stand on, this woman should be stoned. What do you say? And they said this because they knew Jesus was a merciful man. They knew him to be a loving and a giving man. And what they wanted to do was have him counter the law of Moses. If he did that, he would have essentially committed a crime at that point, and they could have brought charges against him. And he does counter the law of Moses, but he does it in such a way that the conviction of the men who brought that woman to him they, they can't even stand it themselves, and they leave. They walk away and leave her. And, and Jesus tells her that, that he doesn't condemn her, but he does specifically say, go and sin no more. It isn't about it's okay where you are. It's about there is mercy for you, but you do need to have a turning away from that sin to, to move away from that and to live uh, different than you have up to now. And I, I love this story for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons is the, the juxtaposition of mercy and justice. Justice is getting what you deserve, be it for good or bad. In this woman's case, she deserved to be stoned. She knew what the law was. She knew that what she was doing was against the law. And according to the law, she should have been killed. And she knew that. When she took on the act of adultery, she knew that she was taking her life into her own hands. When she was caught, she probably thought, you know, that's it. But mercy, in total opposite, is giving forgiveness to someone that you have the power to punish or harm. Jesus chooses to give mercy when the law says that, that she should be stoned because he wanted to show the Pharisees that there's more to it than just the law. Yes, the law is a good thing. It's given to us to give us a guideline of how to be, of how to act, and, and what to do with our lives. But dealing with people, the only option to us is not just to judge based on the standard of the law. There is mercy and there is forgiveness. There's love and grace for the people around us. And with this story, Jesus shows us that. This is very, you know, the very classic Jesus, you know, and... and and that's a great thing. I, I think those, those are powerful uh, qualities that Jesus displays um, with his people. The second story is not like that one at all. The second story starts in chapter 5, starting in verse 36. And uh, here, the, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. Uh, typically, the Pharisees didn't like what Jesus was saying. Uh, no different in this case. Uh, but they start asking about his testimony. Testimony is a buzzword that the law used. The law of Moses said if two bring the same testimony, it's considered true. And so in legal proceedings, if two people had the exact same story, that story was considered to be truthful unless something was presented to prove it wrong. And they used that against Jesus. They said, well, you're only one person. How can we know what you say is true? No one's ever said the types of things that you say before. We can't assume it to be true unless there's a second testimony that, that shows that it's true. And uh, Jesus retorts using the same law with John the Baptist. He said, John the Baptist was with you not long ago. He was one man who spoke and lived very differently than any of the other prophets, and yet you accepted his word as truth. 
Why do you choose now not to accept my word? So this is where we pick it up in, in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, meaning John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may truly have life. Very, very different. These, like I said, these men, they base everything they do day in and day out on the law of Moses. For Jesus to say to them, you do not have the word abiding in you, was just a slap to the face of them. They believed that everything that they did, they, they ate, sleep, and breathed the, the law of Moses. Most of these men could recite the entirety of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, from Genesis 1 to the end of Deuteronomy without missing a single piece of punctuation. That's how fervent these people were on the law. And for God to say that the law is not in you was completely offensive to them. But when Jesus says this, he, he shows us that he's not a person interested in agreeing to disagree. He's not a person who's willing to say, oh, well, you know, you have your truth and I have mine and that's okay. No, he's a man who's willing to say, I know the truth. I know the Father. I know his word. And this is not it. This is not the correct exercising of his word. And these men believed that what they were doing was right, but what Jesus saw, and, and it's interesting, Jesus doesn't say anything nice in this to them, but he is speaking from a place of love because what he sees is a generation of religious leaders that are leading a nation into imprisonment by the law. Everything about their lives was controlled by the law. Everything they did had to do with the law. And unless you were following the law to a perfect T, you were, you were sinning trash, and they would throw you out of the temple for it. These men were using it to glorify themselves, not to glorify God. And that's what Jesus saw. He saw these men and, and the people that they led falling further and further into control by the law. They had it down to the very, very letter. Like one of the rules was you can't work on the Sabbath. They set a weight for what carrying something was work. If it weighed more than this, it was considered work and you were sinning. If it weighed less, then you were okay. It wasn't considered work. And, and that wasn't the purpose of the law. Jesus didn't want to see people brought into imprisonment by the word that God gave to Moses. He wanted to see people grow in God and be freed from their bondage and from their imprisonment. And what these men were doing is they were using it to further confine humanity with their, with their personal rules and using it to glorify themselves. And while Jesus is speaking in love to these people, he doesn't pull any punches on them. He doesn't try to soften the blow at all to try to befriend them or to, to make the message a little more easy to, to digest. He serves them a cold slap of truth, like a cold splash of water first thing in the morning. It's not comfortable. It'll wake you up in a hurry, but it doesn't feel good. I think it's interesting sometimes where we learn lessons. Um, I learned a very, a very strong and powerful lesson that to this day still affects me um, in a very negative or unfortunate situation. Uh, and I think it's interesting how that happens sometimes in our lives. Um, I studied under a, a pastor who uh, later fell from his church because of sin. Uh, got into a relationship with a, a young girl and just tore the church apart. It was very unfortunate. Um, we saw families torn in half where some of them felt for the girl, some of them felt for the pastor. Um, I lost a really good friend who sided with the pastor. And I said, 
are you out of your mind? And he said, are you kidding me? And we just saw, it was just a very, very unfortunate situation. But I studied under this man for a couple of years, and one of the things that we did in a discipleship class with a couple of other people was we wrote, um, it was called a story of me. And essentially you would take an attribute that you felt that you had, and you would explain in two or three paragraphs why you felt that that was true about you. Um, I am honest. I am um, nice. I am a good friend. I am a good child. You know, whatever it may be, some attribute of yourself that you believe to be true. And the idea of it was to, to show why that was true about you so that you could have some sort of proof of it. And the idea behind it, which I don't know whose idea it was, I wish I did, he uh, also had a bad habit of taking good ideas and claiming them as his own. Um, so I don't know whose idea it actually was, but the idea behind it was, if you know who you are, you will then by proxy know what you are not. And if the devil comes to you and says to you, you're not a good husband, you're not a good mom, you, you, you weren't even there for that person, you're not a good friend, you could then turn to these things and say, no, I know these about myself because of this. I am a good friend. I am a good spouse. I am a good parent. Whatever it may be. And, and by knowing who you are and what you are, when, when Satan tries to bring lies to you, tries to tell you things to cut you down, to trip you up, to mess you up, you can then say, I know these things not to be true because of this. And that's what we're doing here with Jesus. We're learning about who he is. And if anybody ever tells you something, if you ever read anything about Jesus that doesn't fit in with these qualities, if you ever hear somebody say, Jesus was not loving. Jesus was not merciful. Jesus was not okay with confrontation. If you hear any of those things, you can know that they're not true because of these stories. These show us that these are the qualities of Jesus and they are true about him. So we've got two more stories. One more that shows um, the... The loving side, and one more that shows a little more of the fighter. Um, so the first one is about a blind man. It's in, verse, it's in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And then we're going to go all the way down to verse 29 for a little bit after we read the first part of it. Not a lot of setup needed for this one. Uh, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man? Who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, and when, when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit in the ground, made, with, made mud with his saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Classic miracle. Jesus does lots of miracles. He, he goes into a new town. The, the sick and the cripple and the blind and the demon-possessed and people with diseases, they come to him. Jesus heals them, touches them, and, and changes their lives. And, uh, you know, no big questions there, no big issues. Um, it shows us that Jesus is interested in more than just our, our souls more than just our spiritual world. He's interested in the things that are, are ailing us physically. You know, these people, this man spent his entire life on the side of a street hoping that somebody's generosity was going to feed him for another day. You know, that was a very real issue that he was dealing with, and Jesus was interested in that. He was interested in more than just making sure we get to heaven. He cares about our physical problems, you know, our, our earthly issues, our financial problems, our, our work issues. He cares about those things. And uh, I think the story certainly shows that. But if you skip down to verse 29, um, we see a kind of an interesting twist on it. Um, in between, the Pharisees have been talking with the former blind man, 
Um, at first, they didn't believe him. They actually brought his parents in to prove that it was actually him. They said, well, maybe it's just somebody who looks like him. And so they brought his parents in, and his parents are like, no, that, that's really him. And they have him tell the story two or three times, and it's you know back and forth. They're just trying to figure out exactly what happened, and they don't really like that Jesus was involved with it. But in verse 29, the Pharisees say, We know God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man, previously the blind man, answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so it's unique in the sense that we do not have a recording in the Bible of a person born blind being healed until this moment. Jesus was the first person to do that. And because of that, it's an unprecedented event that even people who were not learned necessarily, this man probably never would have gone to school without the ability to see. He would not have been taught the Torah. He would have gone straight into begging because he was born blind. And yet even he can say, I know that this man must come from God because we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, so that must not be what he is. And he's done something that's never been seen before. And so even to this man, his authority was unquestionable to him. He saw that in his acts that that Jesus had the power and the authority, more than just the mercy and the love to do it, but the authority and the ability to do that miracle. Our last one is in chapter 8, verses 39 through 47. And this one needs a little bit of a setup. Uh, Jesus is in a really long conversation with some of the Pharisees. And they get on the subject of fathers. The first comment you're going to hear in there is about fathers. And that's kind of where their their conversation lets up that we're going to pick up on it. But they're having a long conversation about what is and isn't and who Jesus is and who he's not, who they are. And so the the Pharisees say to him, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, "If if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. Which is a little confusing because they said, Abraham's our father, and he said, no, it's not. But you are doing the works of your father. So who is their father? They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the very beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And again, these guys were were fit to kill at this point. Literally, some of them went to get stoned stone Jesus at this point. This was the utmost disrespect that you could pay to these people. These were very high officials. People would nod their heads to them. You know, the lower people might even bow to them. These were the strongest people of a theocracy, of a country that's run by God, quote unquote. You know, these people were the higher ups. They had power over life and death. Two chapters ago, they just brought a woman into the temple with rocks already in hand, ready to kill her. No trial, no witnesses, no nothing. They were ready. They had the ability to do that. They had the power to do that. 
But Jesus calls him on the carpet. He doesn't pull any punches. He lays it out in front of him, and he serves it up to him cold. This is not a Jesus like, like we hear about now. This is not a kumbaya Jesus. This is not a headband, circle, hand-holding Jesus. This is somebody who's willing to take on a group of officials, a group of people who have the ability to kill him, very likely, and say to them the truth. And that's what's beautiful about this is that Jesus isn't doing this to upset them. He's not trying to, to win a, you know, a rap battle or anything. He's doing this because it's the truth. Because what they're doing with the word is, is a perversion of what God created it for. God created it to make his people free, not for these men to glorify themselves with their own acts of righteousness. And, and Jesus is so disappointed that this is what it's come to with his people. And the thing that I love about these stories is, yes, certainly Jesus is a Jesus of love. He's a Jesus of mercy and grace and forgiveness. He shows us that umpteen times. But I feel like too often the fighter in Jesus gets swept under the rug. And we forget about the man who is willing to take on the most powerful people of his country in their own building and to call them on the carpet to the point that they don't have a response. Their only response is, maybe we should get rocks and kill this guy so nobody ever hears him say anything like this again. Because he's clearly too powerful for us. He clearly has too much authority. And the first thing I want to I point out is, what to do with this information is to understand that Jesus used all of these qualities powerfully for ministry. Ministry is not just about love, and it's not just about mercy. It certainly is. Certainly you can go um, and minister to people in that way. You can pray for them. Um, you can serve food. You can help um, with distributing clothing, with coat drives. You know, there are lots of very, um, very beautiful ways that you can help people in those ways. But certainly ministry can be a more confrontational experience. You know, look at the stories of, of Daniel versus Paul. Uh, on Daniel's side of things, there was a law passed by the king that said you couldn't pray to anybody for 30 days other than the king. Daniel's habit every day was three times a day to go into his upper room, he opened up his windows, and he knelt down and he prayed three times a day. And they did this to try to kill him. And God didn't come to Daniel in, in a whirlwind of fire and say, storm into the king's chambers. And, and demand a debate with him in front of all the people. No, he said, tomorrow morning, I want you to do exactly what you did today. I want you to get up, I want you to open your window, I want you to pray. And he did. He didn't change anything. He didn't have to do anything different than he was already doing it. And God's miracle came out of it. He was arrested. He was thrown into the lion's den. God protected him from the lions. And when he came out, you know, the story goes on from there. We see God's miracles come through that. He didn't have to do anything different than he was already doing it. Then you've got Paul's side of things. Paul was a phenomenal debater. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees by his own admission. And what that meant was he knew the law letter. He knew it right down to the very fine points, and he could argue it very, very well. And when he was going across Asia Minor, ministering to people all over the world, one of the areas that he came to was in Greece. And when he came into Greece, um, a popular intellectual concept of the era uh, was that the soul, the spirit, was the greater part of the body. The body was two, the, the human body portion, and then the soul or spirit. And once the spirit was freed from the body, it was in a more powerful state. It was free to, to experience things in a greater way than the body could. And so to be free from the body was a good thing. Death was almost a, a celebration into enlightenment. And when Paul talked about Jesus' resurrection and later our resurrection at the second coming of Christ, they laughed at him. And they said, why would you want to come back to the body? 
Once the spirit is free of it, it's in a greater realm. It doesn't need to come back to the physical to be held back and and trapped into the body. And Paul didn't just go, oh, well, I guess I'll go to the next city and see if anyone else likes this idea and move on. He got into the, the, the scholars' areas and he challenged them to open debate in front of hundreds and thousands of people. And he made hundreds and thousands of converts there very effectively. These qualities, while very different, can be used very effectively. Each one of us has areas in our lives that we're better at. You know, we have things that we're good at and things that we're not so good at, things that we enjoy and things that we're not so comfortable with. And that's okay. God made us all very different for reasons. And it's important to find those strengths in yourself and, and to play towards them. And there's an interesting book uh, by a man named Tom Rath, and he has a book called Strength Finder. And there's actually a Strength Finder 2.0. I don't know what the difference is. I apologize. Um, but the concept behind the book was there's a long questionnaire where you answer. You say, what would you do in this situation, A, B, C, or D? What would you do in this situation? It's a long questionnaire. And at the end of it, the book gives you five qualities that it believes you have strengths in and five qualities that it believes you are very, very weak in. And the idea of the book, rather than to take your weaknesses and try to make them stronger to make you a better balanced person is, Tom Rath's idea was, I think God makes people good at things for reasons. And if we can find the things we're good at and try to strengthen them further, we can be the best at them. Rather than being kind of good at everything, if we take our strengths and keep playing to them, we can exceed anyone else because those are our personal strengths. And rather than trying to build up our weaknesses, let's find people around us who already have strengths in those areas, and let's let them master that area. Certainly we can help them with it, but if they're already naturally strong in that area, why not let them excel in that area? And I think that's a, that's a great thing too, because... Obviously, in Jesus' perfection, he knew exactly when love and mercy was the right play and when cold, hard truth and open debate was the right play. And that's a very difficult thing for us to know, which is right and which is wrong. That's where the Holy Spirit comes into play in your life. You have to make sure your heart's in a place that if the Holy Spirit were to speak to you to say, hey, I I want you to step out and speak up. I want you to say something to this guy or this lady or whatever. I want you to say, hey, you know, well, in in, in John it says this. What are your thoughts on that? It doesn't have to be in a cruel way. It doesn't have to be in a fight. But to say, hey, I, I'm willing to, to talk about this. I'm willing to, to throw up a, a dissenting opinion. And, and I just want to have a conversation about it. And the people around you might be very powerfully affected by it. In Paul's case, it was basically the crux of his ministry for a long time. And then ultimately, through all of this, we, we learn who Jesus is. If we find our strength in, in God, in Christ, in, in our ministry, um, we are going to better understand ourselves. We're going to be strengthened. It's, it's that same thing I was saying before. When, when you know what you are, if the enemy tries to throw things at you and tries to trip you up and tries to say, oh, you're not this, you can't do that, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, whatever it may be, you can say no. I have evidence. I have stories. I have experiences that say that that is not true. And when you try to throw that at me, I can just bat it away because I know who I am. I know who God is and I know who I am in God. And, and by learning these qualities about Jesus, I think we can learn about ourselves through God. And we can better understand ourselves. We can be better uh, men and women of God. We can be better missionaries to the people that God's put in our lives. We can be more attuned to the people around us, what they need, and, and what maybe we're going to need to do for them spiritually. And I think that it's really cool that Jesus gives us these stories too. Because like I said, I feel like too often we forget about Jesus the debater. We forget about the guy that was willing to throw down in the temple. And we shouldn't. I was once told, well, I love debate. 
I love debate. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I like when it's friendly. I like when it's mean. I don't care. I just like to debate. And I was once told, well, that's not really an effective ministry tool. And I believed them because they were a smart person. They were older than me. They had been in ministry longer than I was. And I thought, oh, man, it's too bad. I really enjoyed that. And I learned about Paul later on. And I was like, that's what this guy did. He was the greatest missionary of all time. And literally, that's what he did. He went place to place and started arguments. And people were like, wow, that guy's got something going on. And they, they ended up building a church there. And he moved on. And, you know, he planted hundreds of churches. And I think it's unfortunate that sometimes one quality is considered better or more, um, more proper or more religious or more effective or, or whatever it may be. We're all made very differently. We all have very different experiences, very different opinions. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. We don't need to come in here to try to figure out what the cookie-cutter Christian should look like so that we all leave looking like that. We all have very different experiences and, and very different thoughts and opinions and feelings and that's a great thing. That means that Jacob's going to be more effective talking to one of his friends than I am because he's got a, a better insight into that person than I do. And that's perfectly fine. Jacob's approach to that person and my approach to that person could be very different. Hopefully, God's put Jacob in that place to be the proper person to reach out to that person. So, like I said, I, I want to better understand Jesus with this. I want to better understand our own strengths with this. I encourage you to, to exercise in that. Figure out the things that you feel like work well for you, the things that you enjoy, the things that naturally get you excited, get you feeling good. And in that, learn about yourself. What does that say about you? What does that mean for you? How can you take that and make it a more effective tool to your community, to your family, to your friends, whatever it may be, as, as large or as small as it may be, what is God putting you together for? He's created you for a specific purpose. You're a very unique shape, and you fit somewhere very, very specifically. And I would love for everyone to find that place. I think it's going to make your life better. I think it's going to make us as a, a ministering community, as brothers and sisters of Christ, a, a better team. And I, I think everyone's going to, to win out in the end because of it. Um, I, want to, I want to go ahead and close in prayer. Um, the, the first thing that I want to ask is, if there's anybody in here who had not heard this type of, of concept of God, that hadn't heard uh, about this form of Jesus, maybe you'd always heard the the hippie, lovey-dovey Jesus, and, and you just never really could get on board with that, maybe today's a little different for you. If everyone would just bow their heads and close their eyes, if you had not heard of this Jesus before, if you've not heard of Jesus at all before, or maybe you just have never quite been sure if you were ready to start a relationship with him, I would be wasting my time up here if I didn't give you an opportunity to do that. If someone in here today would like to start a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to come down here. You don't have to raise your hand or stand up. If you just make eye contact with me, I will pray with you and, and start you on a path to building a relationship with God, to growing, to being free, to learning more about who you are, to trying to make your life a better, happier thing through him. Is there anybody here today who would, who would like to make that prayer with me? All right. Well, as brothers and sisters in Christ, God, we just come to you in prayer right now, and we thank you that you've uniquely made all of us beautifully and wonderfully. And I just pray that, that each one of us would experience you differently, that our experiences um, would not uh, invalidate one another's, but that they would make us more diverse, more capable of ministering to the people that you've brought before us. I just ask that you would give us strength, that you would give us courage, um, that you would make us real and authentic people, that when we leave here today, whatever we're going out to, whether it's family or friends, whether we've got school tomorrow morning or work or whatever it may be, God, that, that when you put us in our zones, Lord, we just pray that our hearts are in a place that they can hear from you, 
that if the Holy Spirit moves on us, we would have the courage to step out in faith? Maybe it's just to say, hey, could I pray for that? Maybe it's to, to start a debate or start a conversation with somebody and say, I'd like, to, I'd like to hear your thoughts and opinions on this. Whatever it may be, God, I just pray that you give us the courage to do that. And I pray that through that, we can learn more about ourselves, grow closer to you, and become just better, more well-rounded, happier Christians in you. In Jesus' name, amen.